Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail. And this week, we have Yalitza Jean-Charles, who's the founder and CEO of Healthy Roots Dolls. And I'm really excited to go into just the story of Healthy Roots, the overall toy industry. I know that uh, Healthy Roots is now uh, in Target stores, over a thousand Target stores, and I want to talk about that. There are so many things I want to dive into. But Yalitza, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So first, let's go into you. So how, what have you been doing? How did Healthy Roots come about? Give, give me the story. What I've been doing, um, I've been existing. I've been playing with my hair. <laughs> I've been doing makeup. I apparently play with toys sometimes. I do a lot of things. Um, how did I, wait, I forgot the questions already. Just, Run it back. Just, I, <laughs> just uh, sort of how, like, A, how did Healthy Roots begin? But also, what have you, what were you doing before then? Well, it all started in 1994 when I was born, and um, a few later, a few years later after that, my parents tried to give me my own Barbie doll. It was a black doll um, for one of my Christmas holidays, and I looked at it and I was like, "No, uh, <laughs> this isn't the one that I asked for." <laughs> and um, I reflected on that in my college years and my experiences growing up with products that didn't really look like me, um, media that didn't really represent girls that look like me, and then looking at my artwork that I was producing at RISD and wanting to tell those stories and talk about how important it is to have products that look like you. And that's ultimately where Healthy Roots Dolls came from, where I redesigned Rapunzel, turned her into a little brown girl with kinky curly hair for a fairy tale class project. And a lot of my peers were like, um, this looks like a doll. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I had a conversation on social media and then everybody was like, yeah, I never really had dolls that look like me growing up. Or I never really knew how to do my hair. And then I was like, those are two issues that I could probably combine and create a product that solves it. And that's how Zoe was born with all of her curl power, our first doll that teaches girls how to style their curly hair. Wow. So what year did you first design Zoe? The first iteration was that class project in 2014. And then the newest version that you see now is actually from 2019. 2019. And so when you were at RISD, and for those who don't know, that's Rhode Island School of Design, correct? Yes. Um, uh, what were you like? Did you think you were going to go into sort of toy making and doll making? What were you initially there for? I definitely went to RISD to be the next Kara Walker, making very revolutionary art, maybe, you know, be in some galleries one day. And then I discovered children's media and how much I loved it in terms of like illustrative work and children's books. My friend Oge, she's got a ton of children's books out now. And... um Taking those classes in the illustration department, I realized how fun it was for me and how I enjoy narrative storytelling and artwork. And I didn't ever say, oh, I'm going to make toys. Like, that's definitely not what I set out to do. But I was very passionate about social issues, being actively involved in like the Black Lives Matter movement on my campus and Rizzy Feminist and Black Artists and Designer Group and recognizing like, I have these interests. How can I combine my work with my interest in changing the world? And I was like, okay, well, adults suck, but I could probably talk to these kids and help them view their lives differently and be empowered to be very confident, like the adult that I am now. And hopefully make a little bit, little, you know, Yulitsa's all over the place, also incredibly confident with really great hair. So how did you go about initially designing Zoe? I feel like, especially in the, in the, the doll landscape and specifically the dolls that are for, you know, like, you know, little girls, there's like Barbie on one end, there's Bratz at the other. And so like, how do you like, what, like, how did you go come about it? And what was the initial design process like? Yeah. So when I designed it, I was like, how do I make this look like 
all kids, even though it's one doll. <laughs> How can I yeah. make this very relatable? And I'm like looking at dolls and I'm thinking about the toys that I play. They have those big bright eyes. They have that warm smile. They have the soft rosy cheeks. So my, my primary focus was I want to represent features that I don't think I've seen on a doll yet. And I want to have hair that I have definitely not seen on a doll yet. But I also remembered that I don't have to be, this product doesn't have to be everything for everyone. It's just an option. Because like you said, there's all these other brands doing really great things. And kids play with multiple toys. So I've got to make sure that I'm creating something that's unique. And so above all else, I focused on hair play and recognizing Wow, I've never had a natural hair doll. And natural hair is a really real challenge for a lot of young girls. Here's a doll that they can actually wash in style. And that's what we're going to focus on in addition to making her really, really cute. Very cool. And so what were the first few years like? How did you sort of go about manufacturing the dolls, building the business, getting people to, to know who Zoe is, all that? Yeah, so manufacturing is incredibly challenging, even before the <laughs> pandemic. And I had to learn what I know and what I don't know, and then figure out who knew those things. So I was very fortunate to have gone to the Rhode Island School of Design, where there are alumni and uh, professors, you know, people on the faculty who have worked in the toy industry who could point me in the right direction. So I also, as a student, had the honor and ability to attend Toy Fair, which I basically ran around and was like asking people lots of questions and like understanding how they produce their products and collecting business cards. And even some of those people I met back then, I now work with and are mentors and advisors for my own company. And so I had to fill all these gaps with knowledge that I didn't have. And getting my first manufacturer, I had to learn the process of, okay, you have to create your renderings. Find a 3D artist that can create your renderings. Okay, now you have to understand how the molds are created. Now you have to understand the deposits. Now you have to understand the production timeline, selecting your materials, approving the colors, how many buttons go on this shirt, how much is that extra button, all of those little details that go into making the toy. And because of the... uh relationships I built and the network I built, I was able to find people to help me fill in those gaps to get the product from my original sketch to that doll that now is on target shelves. So it's a lot of design work. It's a lot of manufacturing production that you have to understand. And it's a lot of money. And one thing I learned at Rizzi that I think was really important was measure twice, cut once, because you only get what we got from our Kickstarter campaign at the time, which is $50,000 one time. So when you spend it, make sure you did it right. <laughs> Yeah. So did you, did it all go to plan with that 50,000? Were you able to do everything you need to do? Sort of how did the, the roll up go and the distribution and, and all that, and all that jazz? We were able to do what we could do with that amount of money, okay. which, <laughs> you know, you make every dollar count. But now yeah. when I look back, I'm like, I can't believe I did anything with that. Cause now, like even a hundred thousand dollars isn't a lot of money when I think about production and, you know, ordering several thousand units of products and covering shipping costs and things like that. And so I was able to learn because I was I worked with a tight budget I think it's it's helped me work smarter um, and being able to you know be very intentional with our design and the choices that we're making for products but yeah it was it had its own challenges what was your target price point so in terms of price point I wanted it to be achievable I wanted it to be a realistic price point for customers something that's not too high but also recognizing we can't sell a $30 doll because it does it's, it's not that's not going to generate revenue for our company and be able to sustain our growth so we wanted to make it a little friendly but setting it as this is a specialty this is you know you're gonna get this for the holiday you're gonna get this for this birthday you're gonna this is something that children are gonna aspire to and that's how we ultimately came to our price while also recognizing the goals that we had for the growth of the company. 
So what? How much does it cost right now? So Zoe currently costs eighty four ninety nine, which we did have to account for some of the costs that have been incurred during the pandemic with shipageddon and containers. And you guys, it's not fun. It's not fun right now. We're gonna we're gonna get into that. I want to talk about all of that because that's a uh, that is just. I'm sure that you're thinking about that, especially now going into the holidays, which I'm sure is a big season for you. Um, where were were you selling it only online for those first few years? Is that how you how you approached it? Yeah, when we launched this product in 2019, we started in October 2019, and then the pandemic happened, and sales just you know it happens. <laughs> wow. So did you did you do any marketing on that front? Were you were you on like Facebook, Instagram, those kinds of things, or how how did you approach sort of customer acquisition? Our storytelling is our marketing. So we've always been marketing since the Kickstarter campaign, since my class project, you know, guerrilla marketing at events. When I started my email list, which I was literally getting people to write their email down on this clipboard and then transferring that over to MailChimp. And now we use Klaviyo. And it was, it's, it's always been, I guess, strategic in a way of like using our story, using our PR and building up our social media platforms organically on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, even LinkedIn now. And so we've always been marketing. In October 2019, we launched our partnership where we redesigned our product and we launched it with uh, My Black is Beautiful. They had a really cool hair care line that they were also launching that year. And that was our way of introducing the product and our brand to new audiences that didn't understand, oh, this is a new 18-inch doll that's super cute and has hair you can style. Oh, and it comes with products you can actually use in the doll's hair. And here are those products. So we've done the digital marketing. We've done, you know, the PR. We've been nominated for Doll of the Year, winning, you know, Parents' Choice Awards, all these things. Um, and most of it has been organic and a lot of it has just been, I don't know, it's pretty awesome. Like we went viral last year. I almost forgot to mention that organically on my own personal Twitter. And I think it just is the power of storytelling and putting your content out there. So did you, th- th- I'm so fascinated specifically with businesses that I feel like Going viral and sort of organic has been how, like, that seems to be the real way specifically for a lot of platforms like Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And so were you making this content with the idea or, you know, tell it, like, were you hoping I'm going to go viral or were you just sort of, it, it happened, it resonated, and then from there you saw sales go? No, going viral is terrible. You run out of inventory. You don't know when it's going to be back. No, I, I never post anything on the internet. I was like, this is going to be it. Beyonce is going to see this. Absolutely not. My intention with my content is this is what I talk about on my personal platforms. I talk about you know, loving yourself. I talk about hair. I post selfies. I post about my like traction with my company. And I think it's really authentic and it clicks with people. And so it's a combination of being consistent with what you're talking about, like having great things. People love positivity. And then also the timing of our country at that time where they're looking mm-hmm. to amplify those kinds of narratives. It's like, here's a young person of color who's doing something really powerful for other children of color. All right, that's great. Let's share it. So I don't think there's any formula to going viral other than consistency and great content that speaks to a broad audience. So when you have this big organic marketing push and you're telling your story, I imagine how it's working is that it's resonating with people's parents um, or, or or maybe their aunts and uncles, you know, di- different family members who are, you know, maybe a little bit older than, than the target. Is that, are you thinking about doing more marketing that is targeted to the kids themselves or is it, are you seeing kids who are seeing your story and saying, wow, she's, 
like so cool. I want her doll. How, how does that work? I think it's really funny because I am neither a kid and I am neither the older person. I'm this person in the middle and I'm somehow trying to talk to everybody and yeah. we ultimately find that our consumers, our, our customers are, you know, the grandparents, the aunties, the parents, but the purchase person actually playing with the purchased item is the child. And we've, my story resonates really well with those grandparents and those parents who are like, I never had this growing up. I relate to you. I see what you're doing. I think this is valuable for my child. Now, I don't, I like, do I want to be the Joja Siwa of toys? I'd love to be that. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Um, but that's still a space where I'm trying to figure out, like, how do we market to children in a way that is ethical and also tells a great story and like, is like, I can't, do I become an animated character? What am I supposed to do? We'll figure it out. <laughs> so you mentioned that uh, you have accessories with Zoe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what. So that's you, what every toy is about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't have any kids. I have a niece. Uh, two, two. Actually, I should know this. Two nieces and a nephew. But like something, the two nieces play with toys, and my nephew is just really young, and so he'll probably one day play with dolls. I imagine. Anyway, yeah. all that to say, um, do you like what is the product expansion strategy? Do you is it just that you're going to focus on Zoe as you add more accessories? Are you also going to add new characters? Sort of how are you thinking about all of this? I think the amazing thing about toys is the opportunity to expand on on play patterns and, and experiences. And so it's like okay, great, you've got this the base model, which is Zoe 101. And then what can you add? Let's add outfits. Let's add a curl power kit with products that you can use on your hair and your doll's hair. So there's, there's, we're literally just scratching the surface with those things. And you can see any brand that's expanded into animated series, you know, apparel, like school accessories. There's so many things. I don't even know what we're going to be able to do. It's a lot. And I know it's going to cost more than $100,000. So <laughs> we'll see what we can do next. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Talk to me about distribution as you've ramped up. So you've you've seen extreme demand. You sell out when you go viral. Sort of how are you? How were you handling all of those constraints between 2019 and 2020? And then we'll go into this year soon. But I wanted to hear about that sort of ramp up. Yeah. So from 2019 to early 2020, we had just launched the product and we'd found our footing with our digital marketing campaigns as well as our, so our paid media and our organic social media, um, consistent email marketing, social content posting, PR and press and coverage, and just word of mouth. So celebrities, influencers, customers sharing it. And then with the pandemic saw an increase in online sales because people can't go into stores. And so they were finding us, our ads are working, our funnel was working, everything like that. And then with the viral moment, what happens is your inventory is completely sold out. And and then with the pandemic happening, you don't know when that inventory is going to come back in. And so now you have to, you don't want to lose those leads that are coming in from your paid media, whether you're running traffic campaigns or they're just finding you organically through your, like through your social, people are telling them about it. And so the first thing I did was actually, this is very funny. Um, the day before we went viral, we had actually sold out and <laughs> I had, <Great. laughs> and I was like, oh, we're sold out. I know that the container we have scheduled for coming in will be back before the holiday season and in, in, uh, late summer. Um, I am curious to see how much demand there is. So let me put on pre-orders. And um, if we're on schedule, we'll deliver on those, that time frame. And if not, we can cancel the pre-orders and that'll be that. So I turned on pre-orders and I'm so glad I turned on pre-orders because we would have lost so many leads had I not. <laughs> and so with that, you now have to effectively communicate with customers about the delivery of their products. So making sure you're having open communication. So doing, we started doing Facebook lives, started doing Instagram lives, sending weekly updates. We wrapped it around a narrative of um, Zoe basically coming back from a trip. So it's like, yeah, she's <laughs> on her cruise ship. 
She's schedule. I love that. <laughs> yeah, she just yeah. Container ship is a cruise ship. Yes. Um, so she's on her way to the warehouse now. She's getting all packed up for you and like all that stuff. She just got like she just unpacked her suitcase. She's you know got to make her trip. So we did all that, and it was really fun to watch it take off during um, last holiday season. Even though there were shipping issues because of whew, shipping issues. Don't even want to. It was so bad. The photos of the post office. Like, yeah, I remember so all bad. those. And it's like the fact that there were still consumers who were upset as if they could not see what was happening was particularly interesting to me. And even um, I think there were companies that were running ads that said, please order early because yeah. <laughs> there will be shipping issues. I don't remember if it was like Amazon or there was a certain company that was running ads on TV about shipping issues. Yeah. And yet still. So hopefully that won't be happening this year because we all understand and are swooping things up. I mean, how did you, did you get a lot of angry customers then who were like, where, where's my Zoe? I, or did, did you just see this sort of macrocosmically in the world? Oh, absolutely. We definitely had to deal with customers who were not happy with delays, who, um, as, even though we ha- tried to provide as much thorough information on our on our platform in terms of when people get their orders, still having to communicate. So we actually p- started personally calling people. The whole team got on the phone, started calling people, letting them know where their orders were. And then um, we sent weekly email updates. It was, yeah, it was a whole process. Can wow. you please everyone? No, but you can do a bit more to communicate with your customers. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, the personal calling makes a lot of sense. I feel like a lot of the people that I talk with are like, you try to be as explicit and like, you know, this is what's going on as possible. And then customers always will. Some won't understand and that's just how it goes. Um, uh, so then, okay. So following that holiday season, like talk to me sort of how, what, what your overall ambitions were with 2021 and sort of, you know, how, what, what's happened. Ambitions of 2021, all orders ship on time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Launch new products. And double down on the customers we currently have. So we wanted to have a lot more returning customers because of those new products that we were introducing. And so we introduced our own online community to, we called it the VIP Carl Friends Club. And so <laughs> we have Zoe's friends in that community where we have specific live conversations and, and, and actually um, educating them because we really don't, like, we're still finding that people don't understand why they're paying $84 for a doll that, you know, they, they see them, they see something they think is comparable at $30. So it's like, no, here are YouTube, we, we generated a ton of content. Like, here are YouTube videos where we're actually showing you us box braiding the hair. We're doing bunch of nuts. We're show, we're, we're trying to expand your horizon so you understand and play and get as much out of it as we expect you to. So, um, I want to get into how you're, focusing on that broader audience. And I imagine Target probably plays into that. But I meant to ask you this before. And so given given sort of your RISD background and the fact that you were thinking about, you know, you've thought about going into like storybooks and things like that, what are like the IP ambitions you have with Zoe? Because I feel like there's like a story to be told and you there could there could be, there probably are plans for so much more. So how are you approaching all of that in terms of her being a character that lives in children's imaginations that have many different ways that she could manifest? I think about the experiences I had w- with children's media and content growing up where I was, you know, like I loved Madeline. I loved the Disney princesses, um, all these characters and, and how many different pieces of content. There was music, there was apparel, there were live action movies and videos. And I think it would be a disservice to not explore every opportunity that presents itself to tell a story and connect with children and and grow with them. And the, like take Dora the Explorer, for example, like, yeah, she was a kid and she was like, what's in my backpack? for all those years and then she became like a middle schooler and she followed them and there were other products expansions and things like that and so I think given that we are 
this is our first iteration of this product and we're connecting with consumers who haven't seen a product like this, it would be a disservice of us to not expand on that in order to be the products that, like we said, the older generation didn't have growing up. And so that I know 20 years from now when kids are in the college dorms, they're like, yeah, I had that Zoe doll. I watched that movie too. I used to sing that song all the time. That's definitely, you know, very much ambitious and something we'd love to do in the future. How do you, what is the first step of approaching that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Build a great company, build a great product, find great partners. All right. So then, like you mentioned, you know, this past year, it's been about sort of expanding the audience base to be more sort of diffuse out in the world. What, like, how did you approach that? Was it about diversifying sales channels beyond online only? Sort of what what were you trying to do and what happened? Yeah. So on the back end, there's a lot of things that we're doing that I can't necessarily talk about. There are things that we're doing in terms of content, um, what we're communicating to our audience, what topics we're touching on, but then also retail partners. So our actual first retail partner is Camp. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but yeah. yeah, they're amazing. I rem- I didn't, when they reached out, I was like, oh my God, I loved going to their experiences at Toy Fair because they would do these, ex- ex- I don't know if you've ever been to the New York City toy, the toy store, but there's like this whole back area where it's, oh, it's amazing. I can't like, I can't even explain it because you have to experience it. Um, it's like a kid's wonderland. It's like going to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, essentially, but for toys. And when they reached out, I was like, I would love for Zoe to be included in that store. And so they were our first retail partner. And then also Target um, reached out as well. And so we launched in uh, 1,200 Target stores nationwide. And so that was an opportunity for us to reach new customers who are like, I don't want to say reach new customers, but be another touch point because, like, you've probably seen the viral meme. You probably saw us online in an ad. You probably saw an influencer post about us. Okay, now you're walking down the toil and you actually see her in person. You can see the product. You can see the quality. You can read more about it. This is another touch point and to bring you in and even to have the kid point out and say, I want that. So, like, yeah, that's how we've been approaching it. So talk to me about the camp stuff because camp is super fascinating because it is so you know, experiential and like, that's a, it's a buzzword, but they are very experiential because it's about kids going there and playing and there are people dressed up who are playing with the kid. I don't know. It's like such a crazy cool place. So what did like, were, did you use that as a way to even like test out like how kids interface with the doll sort of what, 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 and were you looking at that just as a sales volume channel or something else because it's such a unique retail environment? I definitely approached camp as an opportunity for us to get a foot in the door with a toy retailer. And we didn't design a unique experience for camp, but we definitely plan on partnering with them in the future um, in any way we can. I just think it's cool that Zoe's there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so same question, but for Target, do you think, and like, do you think being in Target is just a way to get more mind share so that people, you know, put, connect the dots. I saw that. I saw that piece of social media, and now I see it in there. Or are you seeing it drive like much more volume? Sort of. What What is the overall pl- play with that? I definitely see it primarily as mind share, and also recognizing um, when we partner with people, whether it's a company and influencers, it's people who have shared goals. And Target is definitely one of those companies for us. From I. Because when I think about Target, I when I was shopping for natural hair care products and I started my journey, I would go into Target and they had the products. They had to, they created space for those products. And throughout this past year, if you've, um, I'm not sure how closely people watch, but they've partnered with so many different artists and designers and and product companies across categories from, that are POC owned, women owned, things like that. And 
I wanted to be a part of that because I see their commitment to it. And even recently them announcing their their goal of spending, I think, well, how much, I can't even remember. It was like 200 million or something with Black-owned businesses um, by a specific target date. And so that's one of the main reasons we worked with Target because we share have the shared value. We understand that they are investing in us as a company and they see the vision, they respect the product, they love it. And it allows us to reach more people. So did when you when they said we want you to be in 1200 stores, how much did you have to ramp up production? Was that just sort of a shock to the system or were things in place and you were able to to get them there? It was a shock to the system. Um <laughs> because <laughs> you know, initial order size and then maybe you know stuff gets added and stuff gets added and stuff gets added. So you have to be able to meet that demand and so we had to um, we'd always talk, worked with our, like, I think one thing when you have a physical product company, you're always talking to your manufacturer about like, what are our, what are our capacities? Like, how much volume can we do in what time frame? So those are conversations we'd always had with our manufacturer. Now it was just actually doing that work and seeing how quickly we could get it back in. How much diversifying on your manufacturing have you had to do? Have you had to switch factories at all? Or how have you been dealing with all of the crazy, like, hiccups that have happened over the last two years? Yeah, we haven't had to switch any factories, but we have added new partners for all the different products that we have. And so we've been working on maintaining those relationships and um, bringing in more so on our side team members to help manage those relationships and stay on top of supply chain, production, testing, shipping and all those things. Got it. And what would you say, like, what are your overall brick and mortar ambitions? Do you, is it on a, a sort of retailer by retailer basis? Or do you see, you know, Zoe being in every possible place that sells toys if possible? My goal is not to be in every store, but my goal is definitely to reach as many children as possible. And if that means having a lot of retail partners, we're more than happy to do that. Got it. And so let's talk about the holidays, because I feel like that's, I'm sure, is top of mind for you. Although I'm sure it's you've been thinking about it for a long time now. What like what are, what are you seeing happening? How have you been sort of preparing, A, for you know, the, the fulfillment crisis that is probably going to happen? Like, what campaigns have you been running? How have you been approaching this holiday season compared to last? Yeah, so this holiday season is a bit different because we actually have inventory this year. <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> so we have inventory, we have new products. We're getting to see the diversity in purchasing and like how how um, the average cart size has changed with new products versus having the one individual. Okay, what are people purchasing more? And now we can see those trends over time. And then also preparing by getting a really great fulfillment partner um, where we had challenges last year. Now we have a fulfillment partner that understands our demand, the flow that we're expecting, how like the expectations of our customers. Um, I like to say, you know, this we're basically Santa. If we fail, we fail children. So let's not. <laughs> and then also our team. So because we went through such a hectic holiday season last year, the way we were able to prepare in advance, get our digital assets created, have our content, like planning all those things and knowing like customer service, are you ready? So those are things we were able to prepare for because we had already experienced it. Are you, what are you doing on sort of the last minute front? I know that some brands are like, getting, you know, if if someone orders, you know, needs a doll, for example, you know, a few days before Christmas, are you going to be working with, a, you know, a third party fulfillment or a courier of some sort to get them? Or are you just sort of at the whims of, of the big parcel services? We don't make promises we can't keep. Okay. <laughs> no. We are you spending we, more money to make to keep your promises? We set realistic expectations and we over communicate. And so we have been directing customers to purchase 
earlier rather than later. And even on our own site, just putting an early cutoff of this is the early, this is the latest we can guarantee Christmas delivery. And any later than that, we can't. That makes sense. Um, I hope I hope you don't have too many angry customers this year. Though I'm sure no matter what, that always happens. People get pissed off. Yeah. But um, I wanted to ask, and this is kind of different from what we we're talking about. But you mentioned how you know paid media has been a, you know a healthy part of your, of your marketing. How have you felt impacts of the latest changes to like iOS 14 and Google, like all the things with the cookie that makes it more difficult to track and also get good analytics about who's interfacing with your ads? Has that impacted your strategy at all? Yeah, you definitely have to make changes. And so I think with people who are constantly testing their ads, it's not that crazy. So you're able to say, okay, this strategy isn't working. Okay, instead of targeting these these audiences, here are the changes we're going to make to target these audiences with retargeting campaigns specifically and conversion campaigns specifically and testing your creative. So getting getting into your, we, we love UGC. <laughs> it performs yeah. really well. <laughs> And then we also like to use our earned media in our ads, as well as really compelling product photography. So starting to test that with new audiences and focusing on conversion and retargeting is something we've worked on as well. Um, but yeah, it definitely created some challenges, but just you rework it. I will say the one other thing we did was really focus on email marketing and S- we also introduced SMS this year. How did SMS, I want to like for, for a product like a doll, do your customers resonate with SMS? So we like to, I don't know if you can tell, but we're kind of playful with our language in terms of how we communicate with our audience. And so we like to send texts from Zoe. So for our audience, if like we have different segments, so we focus on like hair care. Um, we know that Sunday is wash day for a lot of people who have naturally curly hair. And so we're like, we already know you're getting down to work. Here's a YouTube tutorial to inspire you for your next style. Um, so things like that to really like show, because we don't like to write very salesy like content. We want to communicate like we are with you where you are, but also buy our doll. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not salesy, but also like parenthetically salesy. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> so uh, what's the big plan for next year? Is it product expansion? Is it getting into more doors? What's top of mind for you? Top three things that you're hoping to accomplish? Oh, it's 1000% product expansion. And I'm really, this year was great because people stopped asking me for new products. <laughs> That's good. Because uh, my answer is always, yes, they're coming. They're coming. They are coming. I think it's really she's, interesting. She's, she's on her boat. She'll be there soon. Don't worry. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we got our things going on. It's because it's so interesting. People see your one doll and like, are you going to make more? I'm like, no, absolutely not. This is the only one. Why would we make more? That makes no sense. <laughs> Duh. But yeah, so definitely excited for product expansion. Definitely excited to expand our team because we have a great audience and we we have great products. We can make even better content, have a lot of fun with it. Um, we've been playing with some social things on the back end. Fun. Um, how how big is the team right now? Out of curiosity, it's a small team. I'm not going to give a specific number, but it is a small team. But That's we are fine. mighty. We are powerful. We get shit done. <laughs> Clearly. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I can see that. Um, well, Yelitsa, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.